uh, and we are smack dab. Uh, actually, we're not smack dab in the middle. We're getting close to the end of our long story short series. And remember, this started way back in Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1 simply said this, in the beginning, God, it was actually 1-1-A. In the beginning, God. And we talked about how God existed as the author of scripture, that this is his story uh, and how it's laid out. And we've been looking at signposts all along the way. We've been looking at signposts all along the way. And uh, thank you, Philip. I'm looking at Philip like it's not working. And he's like, I know. And then he did a thing. So now, yep, now it works. You and I were like right here. When the service is over, find Philip, tell him thank you. Um, Especially because it'll be between services and he'll really want to go get a cup of coffee or something uh, before he comes back. And you can stall him and that'll be fun for everybody except him. Uh, Anyway, Genesis 1-1a, in the beginning God. The first signpost is God creates all of this. And then we walk through the story of scripture in the Old Testament, all through the creation And then sin entering the world. And God talking about his judgment of sin, but also showing us this hope of redemption. And him calling together of the nation of Israel and leading them out of Egypt. And and entering into a covenant with them where he creates them as his prized possession. And talks to them about their need for obedience and the consequences that come with disobedience. And we see that play out as as they disobey and wander. And then 40 years later, as they obey God and they conquer the land that he's prepared for them. And then we we talked about this weird time in Israel's history. Man, it looks a lot like our own lives where they vacillate and they go on this cycle of, of, of following God and being blessed and then rejecting God and having difficulties and then crying out to God in their difficulties and God hears them and redeems them and blesses them and the cycle continues in the time of the judges. And then eventually, Pastor David talked to us about about how um, the people rebelled against God and wanted a king so they could be like everybody else. And God gave them what they thought they wanted. And and what they thought they wanted was a, a human king to lead them, but they found out that human kings lead from wickedness oftentimes. There are good kings in history. There are good kings in Israel's history, in Judah's history, but not many. More often than not, kings lead out of their own selfishness and they rebel against God and they lead a people in rebellion. And then we saw that God continually brought prophets. He brought the prophets to, to preach repentance to the people. Come back to God. Come back to God. Look at what he's done for you as a nation. Come back to him. And when you don't come back to him, the the prophets would tell us about this disaster and doom that was going to come on the land and on the people. But they always left this message, but, but there's hope yet. Even though you're downtrodden, even though it's hard, even though you will be disciplined because of national disobedience, there's coming a day where God will send the Messiah. And the Messiah will come And the Messiah will bring righteousness. There is this prophecy always throughout the Old Testament about the coming of a new kind of king. 
And that's where we pick up today. That's the signpost we have today. This is, as we continue in our long story short, we're at the point where all of this is about to come to fruition. Right? The, the, the Old Testament closes with the prophet Malachi. Uh, the prophet Malachi telling us, look, I am sending you. This is what he says. I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. That great and dreadful day of the Lord, we, it, we read about that in the prophets all the time. It's this future day when, when judgment will happen. It says, but before that day, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah. Not literally Elijah, right? We read about Elijah back in, in Samuel and Kings, but, but not literally the prophet Elijah, but someone in the vein of Elijah, Someone who will call people back to the Lord. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. See, it's with these words that the Old Testament closes. God says through the prophet Malachi, I'm going to send you a new prophet. In the way of Elijah. And that prophet will turn people's hearts back to God. And then he's silent. For 400 years, God doesn't speak. For 400 years of of worldly history, specifically in, in Israelite history, There is nothing else to record. God's silent. There are no more prophets in the land. There are no more great movements in the land. There's silence. He ends the Old Testament saying, I am going to send you a prophet in the way of Elijah who will turn people's hearts back to me. And then nothing. For 400 years. Until... Until the angel speaks to a man of God named Zechariah. The angel speaks to a man of God named Zechariah and says, Zechariah, even though you're old and you have no children, and even though your wife is old and she's barren, I'm going to give you a son. And you're going to call him John. And you're going to dedicate him to me. We read about all of the things that will be done to dedicate John to the Lord. And what we know is that following the Old Testament tradition, that John will be set apart as what we would call a Nazarite. A prophet dedicated to the Lord. You ever wonder why John lives that weird life that he lives when you read about John the Baptist in the wilderness, camel's hair, what he eats, what he does, because he's been set apart to be a Nazarite. And John the Baptist is the prophet that Malachi is telling us about. The prophet in in the way of Elijah who will preach and turn people's hearts back to God. That's John the Baptist. We read about his message in Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. This was his message. Repent of your sins and turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is near. 
The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Get your hearts right. Whatever is in your heart that shouldn't be in your heart, get rid of it. Repent. Be baptized. Put yourself in a position where you are ready to receive the king. Right? This is what John is talking about. Prepare the way. Make straight the path. Get rid of everything. Repent of your sins. Turn to God. Why? Because the king is coming. Make straight the road. See, this is the prophet that Malachi was talking about. 400 years before, for thousands of years, the prophets had pointed to this future new kind of king, the Messiah. And then Malachi says, hey, the next thing you're going to hear is God is going to send a prophet in the way of Elijah, who, who will turn hearts back to God. And then, finally, in that moment, when the time is right, God sends that prophet. We know him as John the Baptist, and he preaches. Make straight the paths. Repent. Turn to God. Stop living the life that you were living, because the kingdom of God is near. Turn your hearts to God. That's what happens. That's this signpost, right? That God is about to enter human history. When we read this signpost um, about the Messiah, when, when we're tracking along in the story of God, this is the time that we understand that God is about to enter into human history, right? We read about it in John 1. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word here, this is Jesus Christ as we know him. In the beginning, the word already existed, the word was with God. Get this. The word was God. Right? So the word, Jesus Christ, existed in the beginning. He was with God. He is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. So not only did he exist in the beginning, and was he God, and was he with God, but he is the chief architect of all of creation. There is nothing that exists that doesn't have its beginning in him. Everything was created through him. Nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. This is Jesus Christ. This is the word. He has always been. He was there at the beginning. He precedes time. I want you to go ahead and wrap your head around that. He precedes time. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God, Jesus is there. The word is there. Existing forever, everlasting, outside of time. And then he speaks into creation. Everything that's created is created through him. His power, majesty, creativity, everything that exists has its beginning in him, right? In him is the light of life. There is no darkness in him. The darkness can't have anything to do with him. The darkness can't overpower him. This is him. And then look at this in John 1.14. Then the word became flesh. And made his home among us. 
He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Like, this is what happens. This is this signpost in a nutshell, is that it was always talked about for thousands of years. For 400 years, they've been waiting for the prophet that would turn people's hearts back to God. He shows up in John the Baptist. He says, now, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's near. Repent of your sins. Turn to God. Make straight the path. Prepare the way of the Lord. And then here's what happened. The word became flesh. The word steps into human history. I want you to track this for a second because it's weird. He gives up the omnipotence, the all-powerful. He gives up the omniscience, the all-knowing. He sets aside the omnipresence, the being ever-present everywhere. He sets it aside and he steps into human history. And how does he do it? By confining himself for nine months in Mary's womb. The God who has always existed outside of space and time, all powerful, all present, all knowing, confines himself for nine months to his mother's womb. Fancy word for that, by the way, in case you care, is called kenosis. Laying aside of his godly attributes to step into human history. This is this is the signpost of the Messiah, right? And so we're going to dig into this today, and, and we're going to see this story play out in Luke, right? And as we dig into this, and as we see the story play out, I think you're going to see what all is um, to be understood with the Messiah. All right. I'm going to read to you. Uh, some of it's on your screen, and we're going to go over some of this at a time. But if you've got your Bibles, flip to Luke 1. And, and there's about 12 verses here that I'm going to read you. And you know this story, you know it well, but it would help you to go through it with us too. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the, the seats in front of you or you can track with it. But this is Luke 1 starting in 26th. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember Elizabeth is um, John the Baptist's mother, right? So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen because I'm a virgin? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. So here, here we have this story that, that you've heard a lot, right? If you guys are like me, when the kids were little, you probably 
taunt them, right, by making them tell you that story. It's, it's actually, it's not taunting. It's really good parenting. And at the same time, it drives them nuts. So it's a win-win. And you know what I'm talking about, right? When you can drive your kids nuts through good parenting, it's awesome, right? So we would sit there, and they'd be so ready to open presents. And we'd be like, yes, presents are awesome. But first, let's read the Christmas story. Who knows where it is? Flipping through and looking. Listen, you know this story. It's common. But I don't want you to miss the importance of some of the things in this story. There's, there's a lot to be gleaned from this signpost, and there's a lot that's necessary for us to understand. If we are going to really not just have an idea of who Jesus is and why he came, but really understand what it took for God to make this happen. Really understand what it means that God did it this way. All right, so let's track through this. First thing here, we see that the, the angel Gabriel says, greetings, favored woman. Favored woman. He tells Mary, you are favored. Man, you are going to be honored. The Lord is with you. Mary's confused and disturbed, and she tries to think what the angel could mean. And the angel says, look, man, just don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Basically, the angel Gabriel is telling her, here's what you need to know. You have found God's favor He is pleased with you. And so whatever I say next is rooted in this truth that God is pleased with you and you have found his favor. Now there's a couple things I want to say here. And I'm going to say this a couple times today, at least twice, maybe three. I don't even know. I can't remember my own notes. But there are areas, it's a good look, buddy. There are areas where we disagree with our Catholic friends. There are a lot of areas where we disagree with our Catholic friends, and one of them is the way that we treat Mary. We love Mary, right? She is the mother of Jesus. Like, of all of the women that have existed in history, God chose Mary for this honor. We celebrate that. However, I'm going to suggest that we do not deify Mary. That we don't make her out to be something that God did not intend. Right? God used Mary to bring Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, into the world. We should celebrate that. We should love that. We, we should look at Mary's life and say, man, I don't, I don't know what was there. But, but something caused God to bless her abundantly. Right? But we should not turn Mary into something she's not. So I want to caution you strongly. And I know that at a non-denominational church, we often have people here watching online that are from different backgrounds. Listen, we don't pray to Mary, right? We don't ask Mary to talk to God for us. Those are things we don't do, right? Because those things aren't biblical. Mary is a human being who has found favor from God. And that's awesome, And we honor her and we celebrate it, but we don't take it too far, right? And the other thing I want you to understand about this before we we, we dig further about this favor, listen, finding favor from God, being favored by God, being used by God, nowhere does Gabriel say, and so Mary, get ready for the good life because it is going to be easy, Right? Mary does not say, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you, which means everything is going to be smooth sailing. 
I will deal with your enemies. I will crush those who come against you. Nowhere does he say, and because you are favored by God, oh, you favored woman, you will never have a day of hardship. No one will ever talk bad about you. There will be no problems. You will have no sorrow. Your life will be easy and stress-free. Right? That's not the promise. In fact, we know from, from Mary's life that it's far from it. That, that Mary is pregnant outside of wedlock. This is going to cause her some issues. That, that Mary's son is going to be poorly treated and persecuted and eventually killed. That's going to cause a mom some issues. Right? God doesn't say your life is going to be easy. He says that your life will be favored. And we understand here, just, just from the beginning, that, that God's favor does not equal ease or comfort in this life. In fact, we read that the opposite is often true. Every prophet that God favored and used to bring his message of, of repentance and judgment and hope for the future was mistreated. Many were murdered and killed. Christians all over the world today that are favored by God with new life in Christ are jailed or shut down or in some circumstances killed. Like we, we think we, we worry about persecution. We don't know persecution the way that most of the world knows Christian persecution. We should be praying for the church in the world because it is hard to be a Christian. Not in Vinton, Iowa. Man, it's not hard to be a, a Christian in Vinton, Iowa. But it is hard to be a Christian in most of the world. It's difficult, right? And being favored by God doesn't mean he's going to give you an easy life. Listen to me. That is a lie of the enemy, straight from the pit of hell. And it hides itself in this thing that we know as the prosperity gospel. And I just want to tell you now, as we get in, it's like, Matt, why are we talking? Just listen to me. If, if you believe that coming to know Jesus Christ, being favored by God with this new life, right? The love that God has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. If you believe that somehow that is going to translate into opulence and plenty and peace, Right? In your temporary circumstances, that God is going to always bless you financially, that God is going to make your life easy and simple, then you are confused. And Satan will use that, Satan will use that ultimately to your rejection of God. Because if that's what you're expecting when you come to faith, if that's what you're counting on, and then it doesn't happen that way because Jesus never said it would happen that way. He said you're going to have heartache and you're going to have trouble. And in this world you'll have trouble, but I've overcome the world so you can have peace in me. Jesus never promised good times and easy living. But if that's what I expect and then it doesn't happen, then we end up rejecting God and walking away and saying, well, he's not real. Or what good is he? Right? But, but Mary understands this. We need to understand this too. God's favor doesn't equal ease and comfort. It, it often equals quite the opposite. Okay? And, and, and so we keep going in the story. And, and, and so the angel says, but here, here's the deal. You've received God's favor, so here's what's going to happen. Like, right? Some of you, you know, imagine being like a 15-year-old girl 
Hey, you've been blessed and you've received God's favor, so now you're going to be pregnant. Time out, what? That's what's going to happen. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And she's like, that's great. That's awesome. Just one problem, Angel Gabriel. I ain't married and I've never had sex. So how is this going to happen? She says, I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, look, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And in that way, the baby born to you will be holy. And so I want to pause for a second and I want to talk about um, the Messiah and the virgin birth. And the virgin birth is just something that, that we look at in one of two ways in our overculturized church. Either we just accept it without thinking about how weird it is and why it's necessary, or it's one of those things that we just kind of nod along to, although in our hearts we don't really believe that it's true. But I want to, we have to talk about the virgin, we sang it in the song, I believe in the saint's communion and the virgin birth, all of these things. It's necessary for us to understand this because this is critical to who the Messiah is. The God that always existed, that stepped into human history and became flesh. It's critical for us to understand this and it's awfully difficult. Philip. Okay, here's your homework. Um, first let me tell you the directions. Um, what form takeaway five. One, two, three, four, five, six. Takeaway. What's six takeaway one? One. No, you take away so you take away one out of six, how much does it equal? What's five, 10 minus one? I don't know. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six, seven, Eight, nine. Ten. Nope. Take away one. What is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Nope. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And eight. And one more. And add one more. How many is equal? One. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One. It equals, it makes nine. See how you take away? You take away one, and it equals one. Mm-hmm. Do you get it now? Yes. And, and that's what it's like. That's what it's like with, with the virgin birth and everything that comes. Do you get it now? Sure. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Except it makes zero sense. Right? Because everything we know about biology, right? Everything we know about biology is that it takes two to tango. Right? And, and, and it, it takes both. And Mary says, this makes no sense, God. 
because I haven't had sex. I'm a virgin, right? I know some of you are like, how many times can he say that? A lot. <laughs> and you're welcome. It says, this makes zero sense. And, and, and the angel says, Gabriel says, look, it's going to be okay. Like in a matter of fact explanation. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Well, here's what's going to happen. It's never happened before in human history and it's never going to happen again in human history. But here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is actually going to come upon you and the power of God most high basically will cause you to be pregnant and you will conceive a son. And in this way, he will be holy. Oh, okay. Now I want to... I wanna, tell you something, and it's going to be weird, and, and, and we have to wrap our heads around this, right? This is radically different and also pretty similar at the same time to some of the, some of the religious understandings and beliefs in the world at the time, right? This is, this is at the point where Greek paganism and religion has reached its fullest and Rome has come in and they've taken Greek mythology and paganism and they've expounded on it. And it was not uncommon for the gods, right? Zeus, Hermes, Jupiter, whatever, whatever um, Greek or Roman mythology you're, you're looking at, it was not, it was not uncommon for the gods to take the shape of human beings and in that way, they would be gods in flesh, but still gods walking around. Also, it was not uncommon, weird, but not uncommon for the gods to take shape of human beings and then mate with humans and have offsprings that were half God, half man. Right? Anybody that's seen the Clash of the Titans, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking original Clash of the Titans. Not like the new stuff they did. You know what I'm talking about. They, they would call those in Greek or, or Roman mythology, they would call them demigods. Half God, half man. Right? Hercules was one of those. Now we know that's all fictional and mythological, right? But, but so God is saying, look, no, 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 this is different. I'm not creating a, a, a God in a man's suit. Right? And, and this isn't God coming down in human form and, and having intercourse and offspring with, with a human woman. No, no, this is something completely different. This is Mary and the Holy Spirit of God coming on Mary and causing her to be pregnant so that she would conceive someone who was fully God and fully man at the same time. Right? We know this as the hypostatic union. Right? Another fancy word, write it down, bring it out at Christmas, impress your friends. Or be laughed at, whichever, I don't care. Right? But the hypostatic union is a necessary theological thing. Listen, it is not just something that we agree with. It's something that we believe with all of our being that God is, or that Jesus is fully God and at the same time, he's fully man. Look, he is fully human because he is born of a woman from Mary. Mary carries him to term. He is half hers, right? It's, it's her egg, right? She carries him to term. She gives birth to him. He is a human being. He's fully man. And as a, as a man, 
He faces the same struggles we face. You've been tempted? So is he. You've had aches and pains? You've had urges and desires that you don't want to follow? So is he. Right? In fact, uh, the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4, this high priest of ours, that's Jesus, he understands our weaknesses. Why? Because he faced them. All of the same testings we do. Yet in facing them, he didn't sin. He didn't give in to them. So let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help when we need it most. So listen to me. There is something so powerfully true about the fact that Jesus is fully human. It means when you struggle with temptation, when you struggle with urges, when you struggle with being who you don't want to be, when you struggle with the sin that so easily entangles and trips us up, when you struggle, you have a high priest who knows all about it. He's been there. He knows what you've been through. He faced all the struggles. He's not unaware of the things that you go through because he's gone through them. That's what the author of Hebrews tells us. It's important that he is fully man. He's been through. And and the fact that he's going to live a sinless life only matters because he's man. Right? It's not special for the God of heaven to live a sinless life. The God of heaven is perfect in every way. The God of heaven cannot be contrary to his perfect righteous character. He can't sin. But you know who can sin? Human beings. The fact that he is fully human matters because he faced all of our temptations, yet he didn't give in. And so only because he was fully human and could face the full assault of the temptations of Satan, which he did in the wilderness. Read about that in Matthew 4. In the wilderness, he's tempted by the enemy. We read about it in the Garden of Gethsemane at the end of his life. He's tempted by the enemy to just walk away from the cross. And all through his life, he's tempted. Right? And his humanity matters because, because He could take those temptations and he could stand against them. If he wasn't human, they wouldn't matter. If he wasn't human, Satan wouldn't have tried. It matters that he's fully human. But, right, he's also fully divine. He is born of the Holy Spirit also. Right? He is born of the Holy Spirit. He is fully divine. He is fully God. And because he is fully divine, he has the power and authority to deliver people from their sins. Colossians 2.13 says, Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. This doesn't work for us if he's not fully God as well. Because if he's fully man, but not God, and he happens to live a perfect life, and he dies, then guess what? Good on him. He goes to heaven to be with God because there is no sin in him. But it does nothing for us. It doesn't help us one little bit. It's only because he's also fully God that when he dies for our sin, right, that 
it does something for us. He can be the sacrifice for us. We call it propitiation. He takes our sin onto himself. So listen, when you face temptations, you know that God is fully, or that Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus is fully human. And he understands what you're going through. And he is on your side. When you say to him, I am tempted to do wrong. I have urges and desires that go contrary to your will. And I want to play and dabble over here. And I know it's wrong. God, I know it's wrong. He says, listen, I get you. I understand what you're going through. We don't have a high priest who doesn't get it. He gets it. He says, I I understand. I've been there. And when we fall, when we make a mistake, we have a high priest who says, you know what? Because not only am I fully man and I get it, I'm fully God, I'll even pay for it. I'll take the punishment that you should have received. I'll take it on myself. Only he can do that because he is both fully God and fully man. Listen, it's like math class. Does it make sense? Not really. Like, do you get it now? Uh Uh-huh. The answer is one. Right? Listen, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But it makes sense. We see how it's necessary that he be fully God and fully man. We see how God accomplishes this through the virgin birth, right? And and the coming upon Mary from the Holy Spirit. And how then he can be born and be holy. If we're going to understand the signpost of the Messiah, we have to understand this. This is, this is the crux of it. This is what matters. Now, there's a couple other things that, that we, we want to dwell on here, um, or that we want to talk about here, but don't want to dwell too long. Uh, but, but as we go through this, I, 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 just, I want you to see this very, very clearly. You cannot have... Uh, the Messiah, the God who saves, if he is not fully man and he's not fully God. This is why the virgin birth is necessary for us to leave. Oh, by the way, this is where we would disagree with our Catholic friends again. Because our Catholic friends would argue that Mary, because we've deified her, right? We've made her almost godlike. We've said Mary is too pure to ever have had sex. So all of Mary's offspring were conceived this way. Right? We call it the perpetual virginity of Mary, right? And so in Catholicism and some other Orthodox religious um, traditions, we would say that Mary was perpetually virgin. So all of her children, James, Jude, um, they were all conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to say absolutely unequivocally, no. Right? That is a deal breaker for us because Jesus Christ is unique. He is the only one that Scripture speaks of this way. He is the only fully God fully man. And that's what the virgin birth means, is that he is both God and both man. So we, we, we would push back against claims of perpetual virginity or other children being conceived in this way, right? Okay. Um, and we keep going in Luke. We'll do this quickly. Uh, in, in Luke, um, uh, we skip ahead to the end of Mary's pregnancy, right? In Luke 1, 
uh, Gabriel said, hey, look, this is what's going to happen. In Luke 2, we skip ahead. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, that's important, right? Because one of the prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah, was that he would be from the line of David. So it's important, right, that he be in that ancestral line. So because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged who was now expecting a child. Now here's what you have to know, right? Nazareth, right, all the way down to Bethlehem takes you on this long windy road if you look at a map and it takes you right by the edge of Jerusalem. And right on the edge of Jerusalem, as you walk by, you would have seen, it didn't look exactly like this, but you would have seen this. Embedded into the city wall was the castle that Herod had built for himself. And so as Joseph and Mary carrying this child, this Messiah, this holy God who was going to sit, they were told, sit on David's throne. As they traveled to Bethlehem to register for the census, they walked past where the human king was and all of the glory and opulence and all of his position. Now Herod was not a good king. But Herod was king of the Jews, and this was the castle he built for himself in the wall, traveling. And as people passed by the city, they saw this symbol of Herod's greatness. But that's not who Jesus is. While they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. You know this story, right? There's no room in the inn. They're directed to the stable. And when the time comes, they just, no midwife, no accoutrements, right? No trumpets, um, humanly speaking. No purple royal robes. No midwives. Just... Mary and Joseph having the baby, laying the baby in a manger, a feeding trough, because there's no room anywhere else. See, they walk by Jerusalem and they see the glory of, oh man, I didn't want that. Stop it. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it was funny, but we don't need to see it twice. They walk by the palace where the human king is. And they enter into Bethlehem and they give birth in a stable. Why? This is where we're going to land um, and just finish up today as we get ready for next week when we talk about this hope of redemption is finally realized in the cross as we hit our next signpost, right? But this is important for us to realize too. God's telling us something here. The fact that as they travel from, from their hometown all the way to Bethlehem and they look and they see this, this magnificent structure of power and authority in the human world. But the Son of God who is going to reign forever on David's throne is born in a barn or a cave. And he's laid in a feeding trough that animals eat out of. Why? It's painting a picture of something he came to do. It paints this great picture that the Son of Man, Philippians 2, didn't come to be served, but to serve. 
And so what did he do? He humbled himself. He came low. He gave up his divine attributes, Philippians 2 tells us, and he took on the form. He became flesh. He became human. More than that, he became a human being that was born into a ruled class. He was a slave to Rome. Not only that, but in that slave class, Israelites, he was born into the lowest of that. A lowly, humble carpenter. And he wasn't born um, in, in a palace. He was born in a stable. Why? Because he humbled himself at his birth to paint a picture of how he would humble himself at his death on the cross. And so as we end here, I just, I just want to tell you that this signpost matters. The Messiah matters because in his coming, he is about to realize the hope of the world. Everything that you've ever been longing for. Everything that the world has been longing for. Everything that your heart desires, whether you know it or not, is answered in Jesus Christ. And his humble beginnings, leading to his humble death, where he takes on, because he is fully man and fully God, your sin, and takes it upon himself. Listen, if you don't know Jesus personally, if you don't have a relationship with him personally, then this is that opportunity. This is an opportunity to say, okay, God, I understand that you are fully God and fully man, and that you stepped into human history in, in the person of Jesus Christ, your one and only son, and that you, because you were fully man, you faced all of the temptation, and because you were fully God, you did not sin, and you took our punishment onto yourself. And when we trust him, he gives us forgiveness. That's the gospel in a nutshell. When we trust him, we are forgiven and we're made right. And our lives take on new direction. I'm going to pray for us and dismiss us. And I just want to encourage you, if you need to come to grips with who Jesus is, if you need to surrender to him, if you need to trust him for salvation, and you need to give your sin to him, then I, I want to talk to you after the service. Come, come talk with me. I'm, I'm going to sit right here for a second. Let's have a conversation. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. And we thank you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's in it. We thank you for all of the signposts pointing to this moment in human history when the timing was right, that you pulled back the curtain and stepped into human history, that Jesus Christ, the God that always was and always will be, became flesh. Fully God, fully man, facing all of the temptations and struggles that we face, and yet doing so without succumbing and sinning. And not only that, but through his humility, taking on the punishment that was due us so that we could be made right. Father, we thank you for the truth of Christmas. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for this signpost that, that points us to the Messiah. God, we love you and praise you and thank you for all things. Amen.